you would be opening up a Bible to the book of Micah, chapter 6. Micah, chapter 6. That is where we'll begin in uh, this period of our worship, where we open the Bible and study from God's Word. Micah, chapter 6. While you're getting settled and turned over to that place, let me say a word of welcome to all of you. To those who are visiting with us, who are our guests this morning, we especially want you to feel welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, for those who, as has already been mentioned, are joining us online or maybe you're watching this or listening to this after the fact, uh, thank you for your interest in the things of God and appreciate you following along and tuning in to be with us in our worship this morning. I want to begin by reading here in Micah 6 and verse 6. Micah 6 and verse 6. The text says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt so overwhelmed by the things that you've done and the guilt that you have racked up that you just ask the question, what could I possibly do to make this right? I've had that experience with my wife. There have been times where I have hurt my wife so deeply that apologies really didn't do, the, do it justice. And I knew no matter what I said, there were no words that could take away the pain I had caused. And, and in that moment, you feel helpless because you know that it's outside your power to mend the damage you've caused. So I just want you to think for a moment. Think back on your life up to this point. How many times you've made poor decisions, made a mistake that you later regretted, how many words you've said that you know you shouldn't have said? Things that you've done that the next day you said, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Things you wish you could go back and undo, but you know you can't. Things that have left a trail of damage in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people and even your view of yourself. Now, when you have that feeling and, and you can feel as time goes by, the weight just gets more and more and more. The question Micah asks is, what do I do when there's nothing I can do? When I've gone too far and done too much and I can't make it right. Sometimes we sing the song, just as I am. And just as I am speaks of us coming to God initially with this sense that we are completely unable to pay our debts we have nothing to offer or bring to God. It's not as if we can atone for our sins. So all we can do is say, here I am. I'm coming broken, worthless as I am. And sometimes that song troubles people. Because when they sing just as I am, they think that that song implies that all I have to do is come to Jesus and he's just going to accept me and then everything is over. I just stay the way I am because that's how he accepted me and that's who I am. But I also know that sometimes people are troubled by these thoughts because it implies that maybe 
I need to do more than just come to Jesus as I am. Maybe I need to kind of get to work before I come to Jesus and fix some of those things and make myself a little more worthy and get a little better. Maybe even I need to be having my life in pretty good shape before I can come to Jesus. So I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about the idea of coming just as I am. Because the good news of the gospel is that God accepts me just as I am, but he doesn't leave me that way. He does not leave me as I am. And I want us to hold those two truths together for a few minutes this morning. First of all, God accepts me just as I am. Here in Micah 6, the issue is that God's people, he has charges against them. He has problems with them because they've been sinning against him. And so these verses represent their response. We are convicted. We feel guilty. And so verse 6, with what shall I come before the Lord? How do I make an offering or an atonement for my sin? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? I hope you notice how the offerings keep escalating. Is it burnt offerings? Is it thousands of rams? Is it ten thousand rivers of oil? And then the maximum, the most I could possibly give. Does God want my child? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Is that what would do justice in this situation? And in verse 8 is God's response. Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So God says, no, no, I'm not looking for more and more and more sacrifices. I don't want 10,000 rivers of oil. I don't want you to sacrifice your children to me. He says, I want you to be a different kind of people. I want you to have a willingness to change your hearts and lives in submission to my will. In other words, God doesn't want some grand, outrageous gesture from us. He doesn't want us to try to impress him. He just wants obedience. So we don't have to impress God. We don't have to wow God. We don't have to appease God. We don't have to bring a huge gift to God. All he wants is to accept us just as we are with the commitment to be a different kind of person. Leave your marker or your finger here in Micah 6. We'll come back in a minute. I want you to go with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be in the New Testament for a moment. 1 Timothy chapter 1. You see this pattern of God accepting people just as they are as part of the gospel. And Paul talks about it that way when he talks about his own conversion. 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse 12. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, it says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. I'm in 1 Timothy 1, verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So Paul says, Jesus appointed me to his service. That's verse 12 even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man. That's verse 13. So he knew my rap sheet, and he said, great, I want him in my service. I want that guy, the blasphemer. He accepted Paul just exactly as he was. He did not wait until Paul became a dramatically different person. Let's see a little bit of how Paul does. Let's give him a little bit of grace and see what he does with it. He does not give Paul a provisional membership. You know, let's see. 
I, I think he needs to prove himself before he becomes a full member of the body of Christ. He does not say, let's give him a little bit of ministry and then we'll see if he's ready for big time ministry. Christ counted me faithful and appointed me to his service just as I was. In fact, verse 14 says, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I became a different person, but I was accepted despite the persecuting, blaspheming, insolent man I was. I was accepted just as I was. That is the good news of grace, that God accepts us in spite of our works, not because of them. Oh, no, not because of them. He accepts us in spite of them, in spite of what we've done and who we are. He accepts us as we are, as people who are broken and polluted because of what we've done. So when Paul writes about grace, he writes about what happened to him. And he says, in fact, in verse 16, that I became a pattern to those who are going to believe after me. This is the pattern. The pattern is God accepts you as you are and then transforms you into what he wants you to be. And so Paul will write, we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul will write, God made the difference. I didn't make the difference. I didn't change myself. I didn't fix it all. I didn't come to God perfect. Instead, he accepted me just as I was. Paul will say, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did not die for us because we were doing pretty well, but not quite good enough. We were weak and we were ungodly. We were still sinners. And that is the way we come to God. He accepts us just as we are. Jesus accepts his disciples just as they are. Bumbling, foolish, misguided, driven by poor motives, sometimes way too angry, ready to kill people. He accepts them as they are because that's where they are. And he says, you come follow me. Now there's a dangerous mentality that can grow up around this. I have especially noticed this with young people who grow up attending church. And so there is a point in a young person's life where they begin to wake up and realize, you know what? I've heard all of this about coming to Jesus and following Jesus and being baptized. I know I should probably do that. But I think I just kind of need to get ready first. Kind of get all my stuff sorted out first. And if I can get my life together and decide, you know, I'm finally ready that's when I'll become a Christian. So that means maybe I need to clean up some bad habits. I need to just kind of get more responsible generally about my life and start to take responsibility for some of the bad things I've done. But if I could just be a little bit better, a little more worthy, a little more ready, then I could become a Christian. And I've also observed that mentality in unbelievers. Sometimes I'll talk to somebody who is not a Christian and I will urge them, you need to become a Christian. You need to be forgiven. And they will say something like, I, I know you're right, but I got some things I need to get cleaned up first. Let me get my act together a little bit, and I'll call you. And of course, the call doesn't come. Because we don't ever get our act together enough to be worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. We don't ever clean up enough that we look good without him. 
And that's not the way that conversion looks in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you don't see anybody working their way up to being saved. You know, I'm almost there. I just got a few more things to master, and then I'll graduate to where I can finally be baptized. Instead, we don't fix ourselves and then give Jesus the reins. He fixes us and makes us into something different. So God accepts me just as I am, and I just need to come to him just as I am. In fact, it's important that I say this. I would go so far as to say that if we try to fix everything before we come to God, we completely miss the point. That's the whole point, is that we can't fix ourselves by ourselves. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul talks about this idea of the grace of God and the need we have for him. This is the way he puts it, 2 Corinthians 12. Remember, Paul had lived this. He had his own rap sheet, and this is how he talks about grace and how he thinks about himself. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, it says... So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, because Paul had been given revelations, he had seen things, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Jesus tells Paul, as he's praying for this thorn to be taken away, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? He says in verse 9, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul extrapolates that principle out. What does that mean? Verse 10 For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The weaker he gets, the stronger he gets. Because the weaker he is and the weaker he appears, the more he needs Jesus and the closer his connection to Jesus becomes. We need that perspective. We need to know that my weaknesses are not to be shunned. My weaknesses are to be exposed so that Jesus can make them into what they should be. So let me apply that to the idea of coming to God just as we are. If we try to fix everything before we come to Jesus, we miss the point because he is stronger in our need. We have nothing to offer God, ever. What do we have that we can bring to him? How do we make right what we've done? What is there that we can say, yes, God, now you must accept me. Look at this. Instead, we come to God, not proudly, but as supplicants, asking, pleading, begging. We come to God in need. The good news is God accepts us that way, just as we are. So to our young people, And to those who are sitting the fence, don't wait until you're perfect. You'll be waiting forever. Don't wait until you're more in control. Obey and respond now and let him make you better. Let him make you perfect. Let's go back to the book of Micah, chapter 6. So in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, 
we have this, this sense that we come to God just as we are, but there is more to the story. The second part of that is that God won't leave me just as I am. In Micah 6 and verse 8, it is articulated this way. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So this text focuses on the idea of we don't have anything to offer, and, and Micah talks about these grand gestures that we could offer God. 10,000 rivers of oil. But in contrast, what God actually wants is simple and possible. It's just different. What God wants is a different kind of life. He wants us, in verse 8, to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. He wants us to become people who deal with others in a way that is just. He wants us to love mercy and faithfulness, doing what is required so that we keep our word. We become people of integrity. He wants us to walk humbly with him, committed to trusting and following rather than directing our own paths, which is what got us into the mess in the first place. He says, you be the kind of people I want you to be, and we'll be okay. But don't think you can take away all that you've done. Let me do the work in you. So God accepts us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He says, be the kind of people I want you to be. And the good news of the gospel is that God does the work of transforming us into the people he wants us to be. I want to show you that in Psalm 51. Let's look in Psalm 51 for a moment. <clears throat> so the danger, of course, if you look at that first idea, that God accepts me just as I am, is that we might begin to think, well, if God accepts me as I am, I don't need to do anything different. I don't ever need to change. I mean, after all, God accepts me. So if God accepts me, I can just stay who I am. Well, David helps us bridge that gap in Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is written after David has an affair with Bathsheba and then ends up murdering her husband, and there is that long spiral of sin that David goes into. Finally, he wakes up with the help of Nathan, and he writes this psalm. Psalm 51, I want to read in verse 10. Psalm 51 and verse 10, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O, Lord, o God. O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice. Or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. So I hope you hear in the text how David is overwhelmed by his guilt. He knows he's polluted his heart. And he says, create in me a clean heart. He knows there's nothing he can do. Do you notice that in verse 16? You don't want sacrifice or burnt offering. I would give you all the burnt offerings. I'm the king. I would do it all. But what you really want, verse 17 is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. But when David changes from the, the bold man who keeps trying to cover up his sin and lying about it to the man who is just begging God for forgiveness and cleanness, I want you to notice how David becomes a different man. He talks a lot about this. In verse 10, a clean heart and a right spirit Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways. 
In verse 14, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Verse 15, my mouth will declare your praise. I will be a different kind of person. I will be a person who sings about you instead of commanding people to kill others. Instead of trying to cover up and lie about my sin, I will be a person who again has a spirit led by you. God's acceptance is the beginning of a new path of life for David. So yes, God accepts him just as he is, but God doesn't leave him just as he is. I want you to go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 19. Luke 19. Acceptance then leads to transformation. And that's the pattern you see. Acceptance leads to transformation. And you see that in living color here in Luke 19. Luke 19, let's read. We're going to read the first 10 verses here in the chapter. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus is passionately interested in Jesus. You can tell that because he's climbing trees just to see him. And Jesus, of all the people in Jericho, singles him out and says, I'm going to stay at your house today. And he goes into his house, and the text says that all the people grumble because they know Zacchaeus. They know Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He is an unscrupulous man. He is a sinner. That's their shortcut for all of that. He is a sinner. How could you stay in his house? Of all the houses, why Zacchaeus? And Zacchaeus, in verse 8, stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So he pledges to give half his goods to the poor and restore fourfold anyone he defrauds. Now I have heard uh, brothers who argue that what's happening here is just that Zacchaeus is declaring, this is my policy, always has been, and I'm just a very scrupulous tax collector. I don't take this story that way. I take Zacchaeus as having a transformation this day. That what Zacchaeus was before, everybody knew he was a sinner. And yet Jesus comes. Jesus says in verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. Jesus says in verse 10, I've come to seek and save the lost. I don't think Zacchaeus was just a really upstanding man before Jesus came. I believe Zacchaeus changes this day. So what happens then? is that Jesus comes to his house and he accepts Zacchaeus just where he is, a sinner and a tax collector. He says, I'm going to eat with you, but I'm not going to leave you the way you are. And after Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus, suddenly Zacchaeus is a different man. He is an honest tax collector. He is a tax collector committed to giving half his goods. Can you imagine? That's a lot. And giving them to the poor and going over and beyond what he would have to do to restore those who he defrauds. Jesus does this. 
He will accept people and he will have dinner with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. He doesn't want them to stay the way they are. He's not okay with that. But you see, he accepts them as they are, but doesn't leave them as they are. And if they listen to his teaching and follow him, there is the expectation they become different. That he teaches them and guides them out of their sin toward a better way of living. That's the pattern. Acceptance followed by transformation. And so it is for you and me. As disciples of Jesus, he has accepted us just as we are. And now the project begins. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. In the beginning of that change, things can be quite radical, just like it would be for Zacchaeus, just like it would be for a prostitute or a sinner who comes to Jesus, and suddenly things have to change. Colossians 3 is a great example of some of the radical shifts that have to come as God doesn't leave us where we are. Colossians 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ... Now, this is a phrase that goes back to chapter 2 where he talks about how we have accepted Jesus. We've died to our sins. We've been buried with him in baptism, and we've been raised to walk with him. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So you see the difference already in perspective. If we've been raised with him, we need to keep our focus and our minds on where he is. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." So he says, put to death the vestiges of your former life. That's who you used to be. In verse 7, you used to walk in those things. But now, verse 8, you put those away. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What I want you to notice there is is how all of these are things that we now put on. New things we pursue like kindness and love and humility and compassion and forgiveness. That we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, and then that comes out in singing and teaching and admonishing. We become different people. We fill ourselves with God's spirit. We avoid evil. We speak his word. We live in gratitude. We submit to one another. And do you know what happens over time? You know. You've lived it. You've seen it. We become different. And day by day, week by week, year by year, little by little, we grow into different people. People who are a little more like Jesus. So let me say it this way. 
trying to stay just as we are after coming to Christ is actually resisting God. If we say, no, I don't want to be different. God accepts me just as I am. I'm staying just as I am. Then we're fighting God's spirit. God doesn't want us to stay just as we are. He wants us to put off what's earthly in us and put on what the spirit is leading us to, the good things in Christ. So for those of us who are Christians, I would like to ask, I like for each one of us to ask ourselves, am I becoming more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, kinder, more good? Yes, that's the way to say that. More faithful. Gentler, more self-control. Am I allowing the Spirit to work in me? Scripture tells us those are the marks, the fruits of the Spirit's leading. And if I am still just as I was when I first came to Christ, am I resisting that? Am I fighting the work God is doing? So the great enemy of God's work is rebellion. And let me tell you what that sounds like. It sounds like me saying, no, I like the way I am. I don't want to change. I don't want the spirit to change that part of me. And when we get that way, when we get stubborn in that way, no amount of people telling us, hey, you should work on that. No amount of circumstances that expose it for our anger for our lack of forgiveness, for our lust, for our pride. No amount of situations that expose it ever convince us it's worth changing. The amount of Bible passages won't affect it. We are going to, we are determined to, this is the way I want to be. Don't tell me anything about it. I will stay just as I am. And so we fight God. Another great enemy of God's work in us is indifference. Like the thorny ground, we just say, you know, I I know I should work on some of these things. I know I shouldn't act like that toward my family. But, I mean, I've got so many things going on. There's a lot of pressure. I'm busy right now. I'm really stressed out. We'll work on that later. I'm I'm just kind of, I'm okay with it. I'm just kind of satisfied with the way things are. Brother, we need to watch out for that kind of rebellion And that kind of indifference. Because yes, God accepts us just as we are, but he won't leave us there. And if we are still just where we've been, something is dangerously amiss. We are not worthy as we are, but God makes us worthy. And we are not perfect as we are, but we are God's work in progress. So let me sum up and be done for the morning. If you are not a disciple of Jesus, just remember, you don't have to be perfect to come to Jesus. That's the whole point. He will accept you as you are. He will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Don't wait to be perfect. Jesus works best in weakness. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, just know salvation from your sins is not the end of the process. God is still working. 
and will continue to work in you so that you can be conformed to the image of his son. Don't fight it. Don't rebel against him. Instead, follow his leading. Don't let God's grace make you lazy. Don't let God's grace make you kick against his leading. So this is the time that we have set aside to invite those who need in some special way to bring something before this congregation. This is the time for you to come. If there is a sin or a situation or a struggle that you need to bring to him, we invite you to bring it to the front. We can pray with you about that. Or if you are not a disciple of Jesus and you're ready to make this time the time where you begin your walk with him, he will accept you just as you are. Please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.